You may be right there tonight thinking that uh, you don't have much to bring. You know, you might be like that little drummer boy. This is all I've got, but let me use what I have. Just one touch. Just one touch, and I will be whole. You may be wounded like Michael or celebrating your wholeness like Kristen over here. You are welcome for that one touch to come forward for that Christ child to be born anew in your life. We all have Christmas stories, don't we? We may have some nativity stories of our own. You know, I decided before preaching the sermon tonight, I would do some research a little differently than I usually do. A friend of mine likes to do this kind of research, so I said, I'll try it and see if it works for me. So I used Google, which isn't my, <laughs> it's not my normal preaching tool, you know, to see what the top things were going on right now around Christmas. And one of the top things was, did you know that there was this baby born who's a prince in England? Did you all know that? And he's a boy, you know? And so the first thing you get when you talk about babies being born is that there's been a rush on swaddling clothes. And they're all sold out of the ones with the little bird print that Prince George has. So that's what comes up on Google when you do swaddling clothes right now, you know? Prince George, you know? I don't know that Jesus prompted a run on anything that night. You know, people didn't beat it to the supermarket to buy some straw, you know, they, you know, it just didn't happen in that way. But that's what comes up on Google when you think about that. And then I got a little bit disturbed because I was looking at these images of swaddling clothes. And if you've ever seen them, the baby is tied up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like some scene of bondage. And I'm going, what in the world? You know, no arms or feet. You can barely see its face. You can barely see his face. I was just scared to death. I put a panda up here instead of a real child. The real child was just too much to see, but you tuck it in and around and all this stuff, and then they're just tied up. You just hope they can breathe. Swaddling clothes. So that's what came up when you look for that on Google this week. You know, something about Prince George selling out those birdie blankets and kids being bound up. You know? That's not the way those paintings look of Jesus' birth. Not the way those paintings look, or the way they taught it to me growing up. Well, instead of a Prince George effect, I wonder if we can have a baby Jesus effect. And what that'll be for us. Instead of swaddling clothes gone commercial, I wonder what might get born that people just have to have. And they have to have it because of this baby Jesus effect. The other thing that came up on Google was, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but baby Jesuses are getting stolen did y'all see that? You know? And some people, liturgical people, church people, think it's for the purists. They don't think baby Jesus is supposed to appear to Jesus' night, till tonight. So if you put Jesus out on Thanksgiving, they thought they had to steal it. Because he's not shown up yet. You know? So some of the purists thought it was just the liturgically minded trying to make sure that we knew the story well. Some others just thought it was some kids, you know, playing pranks and all these things. So now there's this new thing that's a GPS for baby Jesus. <laughs> and, and churches who put baby Jesus out on the front, front yard, you know, whether or not there's a light bulb inside him or not. You know, those kind of baby Jesus that shine all on their own. Now they have GPS so that you can locate your baby Jesus and get, and get him back. Get him back. Oh, my goodness, what we do 
with Christmas and our nativity stories. You know, I have a little bit of empathy for Mary traveling a long way and then getting uh, to give her birth in a strange place. Because that's my nativity story. In a little bit of ways, my mom was visiting my dad in Oklahoma. So on my passport, it says that I'm born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I've lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma for like 72 hours my whole life. But everyone, when they see that paperwork, Tulsa, Oklahoma, said, Mom, what were you thinking about traveling when you were nine months pregnant? And she said, I don't know. I don't know. I hear more about 24 hours of labor than I do about <laughs> the trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we have our own nativity stories, our own birth stories, as we come to Jesus' story today. And we may have acted out some of these birth stories. You know, if you were young and a church kid, you may have been a shepherd or a king. You know, if you were small enough, you might have been baby Jesus himself. You know, you might have been one of those things. I grew up in southwest Houston along Bel Air Boulevard. And our church, Gethsemane out there, um, would put up a live nativity scene, which meant we also had animals, which kids and animals on the busy Bel Air Boulevard is not a smart thing. <laughs> but I do remember chasing sheep down the middle of the street. <laughs> I do remember Christmas Eve chasing sheep down the street and others. We saw our kids do a musical here a couple of Sundays ago, learning the story and their parts in the story. And uh, one of the three kings finally smiled in one of the songs, and I was just happy for them that he got to the place where he could smile and be up there at the same time. Some of them were struggling out of their costumes. So those are our nativity stories as we play, play the roles so that the story comes deep in our heart. You know, we know the sights and the sounds and the smells. We know the pieces of it. We can remember Linus reading the story in Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, all of these things come and remind us of this night, of this story. One of my favorites is a church in New York City called St. Peter and St. Andrew Church. It's a United Methodist Church, but they have this tradition. They've done it for 50 years or more. So the, one of the kids that's learned how to run gets to be the star. I mean, the star that the wise men follow. That star. So one of the ones, they've learned how to run, and they can be pretty fast. And so what they do is they dress him up as the star. So he's got a gold outfit on. And you don't really know it's a star until they announce the wise men coming in. They come in the back, and the little kid just takes off running until he wants to stop. Okay? And then when he stops, he goes like this. <laughs> he's a five-point star. You know, gold all the way down to his foot until his hands. Then he runs some other direction. So they don't get to Bethlehem on a straight line. They go back and forth across the congregation until they finally get up somewhere close to the front. And then sometimes a parent has to help grab him by the hand and help him bring him up to the manger. But our stories of this night and what it means for our faith, you know, very important. Because it's more about the words. It's even sometimes more about the characters. It's more about the love that was shared with us. It's about what it meant for us to be a part of it too. Being given permission to run around church and be a star. You know, what is, what's that kid going to be like for the rest of his life? You know, knowing that he belongs or she belongs right here. You know, wonderful stories of this. We all have our nativity stories that we can share. 
This account in Luke with swaddling cloths, no GPS on baby Jesus yet, before commercialization, but by the time this story started to look like this, and we got it in our scripture today, they had had some time to think about it. They'd had about 40 or 50 years to think about what Jesus' life meant, what his death meant, his resurrection, and then back to what Jesus' birth was like. So when you read this story and you think it's simple and sweet, don't be surprised that it's not. Almost every word, every phrase has double, triple meanings in it. And if you're a scholar, you spend lifetimes going through it to figure out everything they're trying to say about who Jesus is, because they had 50 years before they wrote this down. And it was important for them to get all the different parts and pieces in. And don't worry, we're not going to go through all of those 50 years tonight. <laughs> we are not going to do that. Because there's so much wrapped into it. There's stories of economics. There's stories within it of politics and what you do in a world where you're oppressed. There's stories about poverty, what happens to people on the margins. It's all wrapped up in here. Story of power and how power can be abused and how power can be shared. It's all there if you want to go deeper within the story from what we remember growing up in our nativity stories. You know, as this story moves on, they talk about getting to Bethlehem. And some of you may have participated in Las Posadas before, maybe. It's the tradition uh, in Hispanic heritage where you go and knock on doors throughout the city and no one lets you in. You go, knock, they say no. You go to the next door, they say no. There's no space for you. And you have the whole town keeps gathering more and more people, more and more people. They finally get to the church where there's room. And they celebrate Christmas. But you have to go through the knocking of the doors. You have to go through all the no vacancies. You know, all of those signs of there's no space for you here. And we have a picture of a no vacancy sign up there too. I think that's coming up. I like that one. I thought it was pretty. I don't think this was handling, ha hanging outside the inn like this. You know, but there was something when they knocked on that door that said, no, there's no room, there's no space for you. I don't think it's a scandal that it was a young couple who was pregnant. You know, I don't know what it was. Maybe too many people were in town because of the census, but there was no room. You know, it was probably more scandalous that the angels, you know, appeared to those shepherds who didn't have any place, supposedly, in the story. But so I wonder if the inn maker did have room or didn't, but I wonder if what they said was, okay, these look like country folk and their accents, they, they sound like Galilean, and maybe they might feel more welcome in this stable. You know, they kind of smell like the stable already. So maybe <laughs> you have some experience with that, Reverend Michael? For those of you who weren't here last Christmas, Reverend Michael preached on Christmas Eve. He talked a lot about smells. <laughs> and you can still hear it on our website. You can go back and hear that. But maybe they just thought this immigrant family belonged in the stables where they would be used to the smells and not inside. We don't know exactly why they ended up in the manger. We just know it was the space that was given. And we know that when things don't go according to plan, God still comes, even when they're not pretty and clean, even when the animal runs down the street, 
even when the kid playing the star forgets to run. You know, God still comes. God is still here. Even when you're just longing for that touch because it's been a hard year, God still comes. God arrives. Even when it doesn't go like we wanted it to. In this passage from Luke today, they want you to be clear that this is for you. I don't know if you saw it in there that many times, but three times, I am bringing you good news for all the people to you, a sign for you. Don't be confused about who this is about or for. This is about being for you, whether you are the shepherd, whether you are whatever it is you think is not enough. This is for you. This is for you. Three times, they want to be clear that you know that this story is for you. There's a wonderful Greek word in here that's called eudokia, E-U-D-O-K-I-A. And that was a Texas boy that said it, so it may not be said the correct way. Eudokia. And scholars differ on what it means. They're not quite sure what it means completely. But they have three different translations of it. One of the translations is that it means for you, for all, for everyone. Another of the translations, and you've heard this before, it says, for you of goodwill. There's a sense about it, about something about intention. For you with good intentions of goodwill. And also there's a third definition of it that shifts the focus of it from it's you for whom God favors. For whom God favors. All in this little word, eudokia. And I think it's intentional. I think it's all of those. It's for all. It's for those of good intention and goodwill. And it's for those whom God favors. It's for every breathing, living person in the world. This is for you, eudokia. Some of you today will think, well, God's not going to speak to me. This good news is for you. Some of you may wonder, how on earth could that happen? On the other hand, some of you may even wonder, what's the purpose of all this? Do I really need to be saved at all? What from? What for? You, know, you may ask questions like that. Really, do I need to be saved? Whenever I say that, Walter hits me over the head and says, yes. <laughs> yes. Sometimes we're not even aware of what it is we need to be saved from or for in our lives. But a little baby Jesus is born and the light starts to grow and someday it becomes clear what that intention and what that purpose was. God does speak to you. This story is for you. This is all done from God's love for you because it pleases God to do so. That's another sense of the word eudokia. God's pleasure is to give this to you, to give God's self to you in Jesus. God's pleasure, eudokia. Well, I don't know where you are in that song we sang, hoped for peace, child, hurt. I don't know where you are in there, but it's God's pleasure to do this for you, to bring peace. If you have broken heart, broken body, broken spirit, if you're yearning or aching for wholeness, God's pleasure is to bring you peace. God's pleasure for those who can't even name 
the brokenness because they don't have words or sounds. Peace to those who think they aren't good enough or they just aren't feeling like they ought to on Christmas Eve. Peace to those whose walls are so tall that the only possibility they see is loneliness. God's pleasure is to bring Jesus here for you into this community, into your life, anew, afresh. In studying this story about 20 years ago, maybe 25, I was a lab rat in an experiment. And it was an experiment done by a seminary student. Be careful when they ask you to be a part of their experiment. Okay? So a seminary student was doing their doctoral dissertation. And so they needed people to be a part of their experiment. And so they gathered about 20 of us together and they gave us a test. And this test was called the Myers-Briggs Personality Indicator. Oh, okay. Well, she didn't tell us what we were. What she did over the 12 weeks of our experiment was each week we experienced a different scripture story, a different prayer type, a different experience of what it meant to encounter the scripture and God. And so on some nights you would see two or three people just light up and the rest of the people looked bored out of their heads. And on one night, a very special night, like half the group lit up and I found out that was my group. We were the extrovert, intuitive, feeling, perceptive folk. E-N-F-P. So on that, they divide you up. You're either extrovert or introvert. You're intuitive or feeling. You're sensitive, sensing, or no, you're sensing, thinking, or you're, I did it wrong. <laughs> I did it wrong. That's okay. It's all these things they divide you into. <laughs> the last one is you either perceive or you judge. It's just a part of how you look at situations in life. None of them are negative, none of them are positive. It's just characteristics of who you are, is all it is. And so I came out, and when you do the far side of E, the far side of N, the far side of F, and then right in the middle on P and J. And so I found out that most of the people in the class were sort of like me, you know? And actually I learned that most people go to retreats and do church stuff like that are that personality type, you know? Well, finally, we got to this one person in the class, and he was the only one. Nineteen people were bored out of their heads. And this guy, for the first time in 11 weeks, was alive. Just alive. Asking questions, wanting more information. I was about to put a bullet through my head. <laughs> he would have wanted to know eudokia and every other Greek word in that sentence. He would have wanted to see every picture of swaddling clothes and learn how to put swaddling clothes on. He would have done all of these things. And I thought, this lesson is never going to be over. It's never going to be over. But we were there with him in this process as he had been with us. And I felt, I felt like, well, maybe I can try and hear what's exciting to him. And then I said, no. <laughs> no. But, but it was exciting for him. And then I was about to give up, and then he looked at all of us. He was exasperated, and he said to us, you know, y'all, for you, this may mean nothing. But for me, for me, this is the straw. And we looked at him like he was crazy. This is the straw. And he said, this is the straw in which the baby Jesus lay. 
when I do this, when I hear this information, when I put it together, this is the very straw in which the baby Jesus lay. Oh my. I started paying more attention because of the value of what it meant to him. Sometimes we come to worship like this on Christmas Eve. Some of you are like he was. He was an ISTJ. So I was an ENFP. He was an ISTJ. The opposite. Thank you, Elisa. <laughs> Be proud of your ISTJ-ness. <laughs> All of us come together to this place. And God has done this wonderful thing for each and every one of us. For you. For you. Whatever personality type you are, whatever spiritual temperament, whatever letters people try to divide you into, God has done this for you. Whoever you are, God arrives. Jesus gets born right in the middle of whatever mess we're in. And it's either stinky smelly like Reverend Michael talks about it. Or it might be sentimentalized and lose its power. But Jesus continues to work to get born right in our lives. There's a wonderful jazz musician called Victor Wooten. And Victor plays bass guitar. There's some wonderful uh, CDs out. One of them is called Palmistry or Psalmistry. And as he plays these songs, one of them is called I Saw God. And I Saw God is a song about a conversation upon meeting God. Conversation between individuals meeting God back and forth, asking questions. And people who didn't think they were worthy to have this encounter. But having this encounter, God showing up right before them, which I will tell you, God shows up in our lives almost every day, every moment. At the end of the song, he asks this question. He hears God say to one of the inquirers, if only, if I only had one son, then tell me, who are you? If I only had one son, then tell me, who are you? You are God's children, right here. The light of Christ lives within each and every one of you. This nativity story is your story. God's searching to be born anew in you this night. If I only had one son, then tell me who you are. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Yes. Are you enough? Yes. It is God's pleasure to be born anew this night, to be born anew in you. You are the very straw in which the baby Jesus lay. Thanks be to God. Amen.